Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Okay, we're holding in today's Mishnah is chapter 1, Mishnah 13. We had been discussing um, Mishnah 12. We've given two shiurim, one on um, Hillel himself and the perspective of Hillel in the world. Then on Hillel's Mishnah, which was heavy mitamid of Shal Aaron. Let me just put the Mishnah up. Okay, so we have Hillel and Shammai. That um, so we said that Hillel says, having a Shal Aaron, that you should be from the students of Aaron. Oyev Shalom, Virodi Shalom, you have to love peace and pursue peace. Um, the Oyev Sabrios, the Makarvan the Torah, you have to love people and be Makarvan the Torah and bring them um, closer to the Torah. So we had a discussion about what real Shalom is, and we spoke about the idea that real Shalom is Shlemus. Is, um, is really a sense of wholeness, which means a sense of being connected to the center, connected, a sense of being connected to the same thing. That if we expect there to be any kind of shalom, any kind of peace between people, peace is not cooperation. Peace is a concept of shlemus, a concept of wholeness, and a concept of, um, of everyone working for the same thing. We spoke about the idea of the mishkan, of the tabernacle, the reason why the Jews were all united with each other, even though they all had separate flags and tasks, and even within the Jewish people, there were, um, there were separate separations, there was a caste system, there was Kohanim, Levim, Yisraelim. Even within that, there was a tremendous, a tremendous shalom because they were shalom, they were whole. They were all working for the same center. We talk about the messianic vision. We talk about a messianic vision of where the world, there's peace in the world, lions lying with lambs and all of that kind of stuff. All of that is centered around not cooperation, because that's the vision of Noah in the ark, but that's actually around, around the world of still the knowledge of God. And that's what Hill was saying. Hill was saying you have to be from the students of Aaron. You have to incorporate this. Aaron had this sense of shlemus, the sense of connection to every Jew and the sense of connection to God. And therefore, with all of that connection, so then he was able to be an Oev Shalom. He was able to love peace and then to pursue peace, that it was a main objective, a main objective was to foster his own sense of shlemus and the sense of shlemus, the sense of wholeness in the Jewish people. And in that case, it results in oevis abrios, it's a love of people, which eventually is going to be makarvan the Torah. An amazing thing is, you know, and, and, and this is where we sort of left off, but the concept of makarvan the Torah, many people make it as a separate, um, a separate entity, almost like a separate mikso, a thing called kirov. Right, you know, is get out there and, and, and make people religious, right? Go be Makarov people. And there's there's organizations, um, you know, the, the, there's organizations of uh, you know, cure of professionals and and all kinds of stuff like that. And look, at the end of the day, the, the, the most effective cure of is when it's not cure of, when the objective is not to make another person religious or to be able to, um, you know, to, to indoctrinate another person, but it's just merely. To, to, to let what's, what's pouring inside of you spill over to somebody else. And because 
there is a sense of shlemus to God, there is a sense of connection to God, and a sense of connection to other people. By Avram Avinu, when Avram Avinu built his tent, and Avram Avinu had, um, he had you know, people coming in from, from all over, so we say, we, we draw the distinction between Avram and Noach, that we say that Noach, can you imagine Noach was building a table for 120 years, 120 years, and he was hacking and clapping in the middle of Mesopotamia, right? Can you imagine people walking by Noah's thing and saying, dude, morning, how you doing? What are you doing? Oh, so Noah says, I'm building a boat. Oh, oh, what's a boat? Like, what would they have known from a boat? It's in the middle of Mesopotamia. There's no, it's not like there was a Mesopotamian yacht club. And was, where, where did they come into an idea that there was a boat and that it was going to rain? What's a rain? They didn't see rain. So what was this whole thing? 120 years and Noah's telling over a message. And the message that Noah is telling over is, is that it's going to rain, you're going to die, unless you do tshuva. You're listening to this for 120 years. It starts to rain, and you look at it and go, hmm, I don't know what that is. No reason for me to get in the boat. Like not one person was motivated. Avram Avinu opens up a hotel, serves free food, gives and takes care of anybody who needs and he changes the entire world. In the beginning, Avram Avinu was on one side of the river, everybody else was on the other, and then eventually it turned that everybody was with Avram, that people believed in God. How did Avram Avinu do it? How could Noah not affect one person, not one person, and yet Avram Avinu was able to affect a generation? Because Avram Avinu was like Aaron later, was an Oev Esabrios. He loved people, and he loved God. And what he wanted is that people should be shleman, that they should be whole. And his, his objective and perspective was what's best for people, what's best for the world, what's best for God. And that is ultimately Makar from the Torah. That has an incredible effect on other people. Sitting there and trying to, to, to stick into another person, like Rebdesa explains, like, a, like an injection never works. Right, to say to a person, no, you know, you got to do this. It's great. It's never going to work. But to show a person how it flows out, something that is, that, that is real and that it's just coming from a place of love, a place of love of the other person, and again, a place of love of God. So then that is Mekhavim the Torah, that's something that brings them closer. Okay, that was step number one in Hillel's doctrine and Hillel's teaching about his, what he felt was a basic philosophy that every human being needed to learn. Now let's take a look at today's Mishnah, which I'm, I'm, I fear I'm not going to be able to do in one shot, but let's try. Who are your Omer? Hillel also used to say, which means that this is really a connection to the previous Mishnah. This is not a new idea. This is a connection to the previous Mishnah. Negid Shema, that if a person aggrandizes himself, a person raises his name, Avad Shmei, in the end he's going to lose his name. If you're worried about what, what, what people say about you, you're worried about what's going on outside in relation to you, so then avad in the end, you're going to lose it. Udullah Maisif, and if you don't add on to your learning, then Yosef, you're going to be taken from this world. Udullah Yalif could either be understood as you don't learn at all or you don't teach. And I'm going to take that interpretation of Udullah Yalif, that the Rishayim say, that it means that you don't teach, then you are 
you are responsible to be put to death. And if you use the crown of Torah, so then again, a lotion of death, a language of death, you'll be taken from this world. Means that you use the Torah for your own personal ends. They bring um, a, um, a story in the, from the Gemara um, of Rav Papa who had a um, he was he, he was suspected of doing something and the of, of stealing from a farm and the farmer put him into a sack and was going to drown him in the ocean in the in the river and he said oh no it's it's you know it's the holy rabbi so he used and he was he, his whole life he was worried that he was ishtamish betagah that he used the crown of Torah and he used the Torah for his own um, for for his own use and his own good. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we've been learning Pirkei Avos. This is Mishnah 13. So this is, this is class number 16, 17, something like that. At this point, I think that we understand the, a valid question that can be asked in this Mishnah. Is what in the world is this Mishnah talking about? <laughs> really, this is, a, this is a, 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 a dictum teaching me about ethics of Hillel, Negidshma Avachmeid, La Mosif Yosef, if you don't learn too much, you're gonna die, La Yalif Katalachayev. If you don't teach, you're gonna be put to death. The Ishtamish Patag, if you use the crown of Torah for your own aggrandizement, for your own ends, then Khalif, you're gonna die. What what ethical message is being taught here? What lesson are we supposed to get from this? What's the unifying thread between each one of these things? Negidshima. That, that if you make yourself self-aggrandizement is no good, a duh, I know that. But then what does it have to do with the law Mosef? If I don't continue learning, then Yosef, then I, I deserve to die. Udullah Yalef, and if I, don't, if I don't learn at all, if I don't teach, then I deserve to die. And if I use the Torah, the Torah for my own good, you know, in the old days, it used to be that when you became a rabbi, so then you could get an 18% discount on the airlines. That goes back about 50 years. And so, you know, that's like Ishtamish Pitagas. So people that used to, that they used to get a, a, you know, some kind of rabbinical thing so that this way they can get this, this discount on the airlines. Now it costs you more if you travel as a rabbi. But, you know, 18, you used to get this 18%. What is, that, what is this Mishnah telling me? How am I a better person after learning this Mishnah? Plus, um, excuse me, but these are capital crimes? Really? That self-aggrandizement is a capital crime? Self-aggrandizement is disgusting, but it's not a capital crime. Udulamasiv, if you don't continue your learning, if you're not growing throughout your lifetime, okay, you're whatever, but it's not a good thing, but it's not death. Udulayalif, and if I don't teach, then I die. What's the what's the mission saying? Plus, I think a very, very big cash in this mission, a very big question. If you look at it carefully, mission is in Aramaic. What's the language of Mishnayis? Hebrew. That's the language of all Mishnayis, is Hebrew. Look at this Mishnah. Negid Shema, Avad Shemei. That's Aramaic. Udla Masiv Yosef, Udla Yalef Ketalachayv. That's all that is Aramaic. Why in the world is this Mishnah written in Aramaic, whereas all other Mishnayis are written in Hebrew? That I know for sure I'm not going to have, where I believe I'm not going to have enough time to deal with that, but I will deal with that tomorrow. But that's a tremendous cash on this Mishnah. It's actually a fundamental understanding of the salvation, you'll see. Okay. To understand this, what's going on in this mission, what the mission is really teaching me, I want to take a left turn. If you look at the Torah, when the Torah talks about sukkahs, 
So the first thing that the Torah presents in Sukkot is the Dalad Minim, is the four species. It presents Lulav all of those laws. And then the Torah presents to us that Basukos Teshu Shivas Yomim, that you have to sit in the Sukkot for seven days, because in Sukkot I let the Jewish people, I, I, I made them dwell. So the mitzvah of Dalad Minim, the mitzvah of the four species, is written before the mitzvah of the, the actual sitting in the Sukkot. If you take a look in the tractate sukkah, the first thing that's dealt with is sukkah shigavah me'asim amos, sukkah that's higher than 20 amos. All the laws of sukkah and the laws of schach are dealt with first. And then after that, we deal with the arbaminim, parakul of agazel from the third parakon. We deal with all the laws of the four species. So the commentaries ask, why is there a difference the way the Torah presents it and the way it's presented in the oral Torah? In the written Torah, it's presented as first the laws of Dalad Minim and then the laws of Sukkah, and yet in the oral Torah, it's presented first the laws of Sukkah, then the laws of Dalad Minim. So the Aruch Lemer says an incredible principle. He says that in the Torah, the Torah is presenting the laws of Sukkot from God's point of view. God's looking at the Jewish people, and he's saying to the Jewish people, take the Dalad Minim, take the four species, so that you recognize, you can see me, you can see the bracha, the blessing in every direction of the world. You can see that things that require water, are you, you utilize those at a time when water is critical and water is coming to the world. You use them in your prayers for water. God looks at it from the perspective of the Jewish people. For the Jewish people, the most important part was what we, the Jews, do for God. The way the Jews relate to Sukkot, and that's through the Dalad Niman. But the way, the way God relates to, to us in Sukkot. But when we deal with the laws, from our perspective, from our perspective, we focus on what God did for us. And what God did for us was, he took us out of Egypt, he put us inside of Sukkot, he protected us. And therefore, the Torah is what God wants from the Jews. The Torah Shabal Peh is the Jewish people's perspective of what God did for them. We have a similar question by Sukkot, by Pesach. By Pesach, the Torah calls it, um, and we and we call it we call it Pesach, and we refer to it as Pesach. God refers to it as Chag Hamatzos, because God's looking at the matzah, which was what the Jewish people did on their way out of Egypt, and God is celebrating. Look at how amazing the Jews were that they left Egypt with these matzahs with faith. They they showed how much they believed in me, how much they believed in God. They were willing to go with Kippur, they were willing to run out of Mitzrayim. But when we celebrate Pesach, we look at it in our perspective. We look at it that look at what God did for us. Look at how God protected us, how God loved us. He was, he jumped over the houses and he didn't kill us in that night, the last night in Mitzrayim. We look at what God did for us. God looks at what the Jews do for God. There are two perspectives in every relationship. There's what I do for you and what you do for me. And we each have our own obligations. 
I have an obligation to give to you, to do for you. You have an obligation to give to me and to do for me. But our obligations are independent of each other. My obligation to be a mensch to another human being has nothing to do with whether that human being is a mensch back to me. My obligation to another human being is, do I have things that I am responsible and required to do for you? Despite whether you're living up to your end of the bargain, I have a responsibility. Real shalom comes from the realization of doing your obligation, of focusing on what your job is and what your obligation is to the other person, and eventually focusing just on what you need to do irrespective of what is returned back. But the truth is, if it's not being returned back, all I'm doing is I'm giving to you and I'm feeling nothing back, then very often the question that we ask is, is that why aren't you living up to your obligation? But that's the wrong question. The question is, is that I have to focus on how you're receiving what I'm giving, how you're perceiving what I'm doing. How good am I doing my job? If you're giving nothing back, then maybe there's a deficiency in the way I'm doing my job. And this is true in every relationship. It's true in a relationship between God and man. It's true in a relationship between husband and wife. It's true in a relationship between friends. The first thing that I have to worry about is, what's my responsibility here? What do I need to be doing? And if I'm getting nothing back in return, not why aren't you living up to your responsibility, but how am I doing my responsibility? Am I doing my end of it wrong that it's not returned back? Where's the deficiency in me? Now, sometimes you'll come to the realization that there is no deficiency in you. You've done your job perfectly and that there is a deficiency truly in the other person. Okay, that's when relationships come to a grinding halt. But until that point, Shalom is based on what I need to be doing and what I need to be accomplishing in this world, what I need to be doing for you, not what I'm getting back from you. So often we ask, you know, we, we look at another person, therapists will tell you this, that very often a couple will come into them and what a couple will say is, is that I give and give and I get nothing back. I feel like I'm getting nothing back. But because we're focused on what we're receiving and not focused on what we're giving. We're focused on whether you're living up to your side of the bargain and not what I really need to be doing for another person. What Hillel is telling us is, is that if you want Shalom, you want to be an Oev Shalom and a Rodev Shalom, as was mentioned in the previous Mishnah. You want to achieve Shalom in the world so that you feel alive and not dead. Then you have to be focused on what you are giving and putting into this world. Negid Shema Avad Shema. 
Nigid Shmon means a person who is looking for their name. A person who is looking at how great their name is, but focusing on what the way that he's feeling about it based on what others are giving him. You know, a person who, who feels that their cover, their honor, has been stepped on because they're looking at another person and they're saying, you need to be doing this for me. Not what did I do that caused you not to have covered for me? What did I do that caused you to be disrespectful? How did I participate in that disrespect? Nigit Shema means that I'm focused on me and I'm looking at how devoted you are to me, not at how devoted I am to you. All of that which you have acquired, you have achieved, all of that greatness that you think you've gotten, you're going to lose it. And your life is going to be impaired by it. The second step, Udlo Mosif Yosef, if I'm not adding to my life, if I'm not increasing things in my life, I'm only, and this is true for Torah, this is true for every relationship, I'm, I'm not, I'm willing to do what I have to do, but no more. I'm willing to go up to here. I'm not willing to do more, to stretch myself more. This is not a two-way street. I'm willing to do what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not willing to push myself any further. The low Mosef, I'm not willing to add anything more than Yosef. In the end, again, everything I've accomplished is going to be lost. Third step. Udalah Yolif, if I'm not willing to give back I accept everything, but I get I get a lot, but I'm not willing to give anything back. So then, you might as well be dead. If all you're doing is willing to take, you're taking, but you're not giving back, you're not worried about the other side, there's no shlemus, there's no wholeness, and Katalayalif, then that's that is Katalachayev. You're worthy not to be here. You don't deserve to be here. Because it's not a one-way street. It's not about taking. But you know, there's something more self-serving than merely just taking from another person. It's actually using, it's actually benefiting from them to a great extent and then giving nothing back. And that's Ishtamish Batava that I'll use things to my advantage. I'll get things from them. I'm willing to take from them, but I'm not, not willing to put anything back. And that's the title. You're out of here. These are not capital crimes. These are not saying that a prison is going to die. These are talking about life in this world. If you're looking for life in this world, you're looking for a life, a fulfilled life. You're looking for a life that brings happiness and joy. When you're just a taker, when you're just focused on yourself, when you're focused only on what you're receiving and not what you're giving, so then life is not worth living. And that's what Hillel wants us to understand. In the first Mishnah of this series, Hillel tells us, that you have to be an Oev Shalom Verogev Shalom. You have to love peace. You have to pursue peace, wholeness, shleimus, everything we talked about. 
But how do you do that? By asking yourself, what's my responsibility? By recognizing that you have a responsibility to a relationship, you have a responsibility to this world, you have a responsibility to other people, irrespective of what you get back from them. And when you're getting nothing back, then you have to be looking at yourself and asking, what didn't I do that didn't get this back? You know, in a simple thing, a person comes home and they bring a gift for their spouse. And it doesn't meet the excitement that they expected it to meet. You know, we, we talked about that the other day in a different context. You know, you bring flowers home on an air of Shabbos. Thank you very much. So inside you're coughing and you're saying, what an ingrate. What a coffee tov. You know, it's like back to the Garden of Eden. It's Chava back in the Garden of Eden. A coffee tov. Just somebody who is completely not able to say thank you. How disgusting this is. Well, you didn't stop for a second. Wait a second. Did, did you think about them when you bought the flowers? Or did you think about you when you bought the flowers? Did you buy the flowers so they would say thank you for the flowers? Or did you buy the flowers to bring a smile to their face? Because then you would have worried about the color. Then you would have worried about the type. You would have worried about the way you handed it to them. The person who's a person who's a Oiv Shalom, Veroidiv Shalom, asks themselves the question after it fails, asks themselves the question, where did I fail? Not where did the other person fail, and I could, I could analyze them, I can give you an entire dissertation of what personality default, de defect they have, I can write a book about them. Abnormal psychology, I can tell you all about their Mishigas. But that's not the answer, that's not the shlemus, that's not the shalom. The shalom comes from, what did I do that's wrong? Now tomorrow I'm going to show you an amazing thing, that that's the reason why this Mishnah is written in Aramaic. I'm going to teach you something about the Aramaic language, something I learned from Rabbi Yechelen Zweig, an unbelievable idea which has to do also answering the very famous question in the Haggadah. The, the first paragraph of the Haggadah of Magid is written in Aramaic. This is the poor bread of affliction that their forefathers ate in Egypt. Why does the mitzvah, why does the, the, the Magid of the Haggadah start in Aramaic? Everything in the Haggadah is Hebrew. One paragraph, the first paragraph, as soon as you start off, it's like, oh God, shoot me now. Like you started off in Aramaic. I didn't understand what he was so good. Now you talk Aramaic? That that's what I'm going to have to sit through the whole night? Why would the Haggadah start with Aramaic? Tomorrow we'll talk about Aramaic and how Aramaic is the language that is needed to understand the message of this Mishnah. That what Hill is telling us is, is that to make Shalom, we have to worry about our obligation. Not about what we're getting back, but we have to worry about what we're outputting, what we're giving to others.